You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Victoria Blake has worked as a prose editor for Dark Horse Comics. She's the founder and publisher of Underland Press. Jamia Jefferson is a novelist whose works include Wounds, Fiend, A Drop of Scarlet, and Voice of the Blood. Rachel Miller is a proofreader for Underland Press, and Jesse Pollock is a web programmer who works with Underland Press. They're all working on the second wobble for the underlandpress.com website. Thank you for joining me, ladies and gentlemen. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Victoria, I'd like to start with you because you worked at Dark Horse Comics. And what interests me is that as I thought about it, Dark Horse Comics is kind of a multi-platform, multimedia, cross-platform entertainment venue and where they're combining, you know, work for movies, comics, and prose. And and I wonder if you care to tell me how that changed maybe or influenced your thinking when you went around uh, to found Underland Press. That's an interesting question. Um, at Dark Horse, I worked mainly, I worked exclusively with prose. It's actually a question I get quite frequently because coming from Dark Horse, people ask me if I plan to do graphic novels. Um, I don't. I plan on just concentrating on prose. Uh, as far as the different platforms go, there's it's a it's a perspective difference. Either you view the you view the material in its native form, or you view it as content that can be changed between forms. I don't know if that makes sense. That's very interesting because basically with a a prose, a novel, we think of a novel as being, uh, you know, a stack of papers that we hold and carry around with us from place to place. And you've taken that, put that on the web. Um, Hmm. Do you know what it's like? It's like... uh, it's like nicotine. Nicotine can exist in cigarettes or it can exist in Nicorette, but it's still nicotine. <laughs> and equally addictive <laughs> either place. Um, <laughs> let, let's talk a little bit about your, when you started Underland Press, did you want to make the web an integral part of your operation? Yes. My goal is for Underland to be an integrated in-print online publisher. And the reason for that is that uh, when I looked around and I looked at what I was reading and how I spent my time, I spent most of my I spent an equal amount of time reading on my couch as I did in front of my computer, and I think that um, more and more readers are going to be doing that, and uh, the publishing industry has to figure out how to keep up. And when you looked at that uh, percentage contact, that's a, that's an interesting point because I think a lot of people, as you say now, spend as much time staring at words on their monitor as they do on the page. And probably, in fact, most people spend more time staring at words on their monitor. Did you mm-hmm. think you could leverage that to with your publishing venture? What do you mean by leverage? Well, by virtue of the fact that you knew people were already going to be spending time in front of their computer, you might as well put some pros out there that would be perhaps more interesting than the dismal news or the whatever advertisements being uh, blipped and flashed in front of them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I was when I was a prose editor and I was sitting in front of my computer, if I had to be in front of my computer for eight hours a day, I noticed that I was using my random 10 minutes in between tasks to go to gawker.com which is my favorite media gossip site. And I realized that if I provided 
prose, fiction, to fill those 10 minutes, uh, that that might be something that I would want to read myself online and that I would use those 10 minutes to read prose, not gossip. When did you come up with this idea of the wobble? Is that the correct pronunciation? Yes, a wobble is a web novel. <laughs> okay. Well, what what <laughs> what led you to come up with this? Well, Jesse, who's actually sitting here with me, um, he and I and a couple of his programming friends got together with a six-pack and a... Um, a pack of Oreos and just threw out ideas about what we could do on the web that was possibly new and interesting, combining the technology and um, prose. That uh, wasn't very eloquent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jesse, I'd like to ask you, uh, you're, you're a web programmer, and I'm wondering if you have any familiarity. When I think about the way the wobble, what the wobble has become, and we'll talk about that uh, anon, um, one of the things that reminds me of is uh, some of the role-playing games uh, w the, and the choose-your-own-adventure games. Uh, did, that, did you uh, do any of those before you got into the web programming business? Oh, absolutely. I, I love those type of things. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what was so attractive about the thought of the wobble is, is uh, allowing the, the, the readers to kind of choose their way through and, and decide on uh, integral, you know, changes in the plot. Could you talk about your experience, your experiences playing role-playing games? What ones did you play, and what what kind of part did you play in them? Because you can play different parts, can't you? Um, absolutely. Well, role-playing games, I, I played those as a, a young kid, and I also played, um, are you familiar with uh, the old MUDs, where you'd tell net and you'd, you'd connect and play along with a lot of other um, online users, um, yeah, the, yeah, the old mugs, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what those are. <laughs> yeah, so I, I did a lot of those, uh, and also, yeah, the Choose Your Own Adventure books, which I think to me this is is more more similar to that than than uh, classic role playing games. Um, uh, Rachel, uh, could you talk a little bit about your involvement as as a proofreader, just coming in on the web? I mean, when you're proofreading for print. Material is it different from pr proofreading for the web? Um, yes, it is different. It's uh, when you've got a piece of paper physically in front of you and a red pen. It's um, I think it's a little bit easier to catch stuff. Just um, just the physical uh, interface is is easier, um, and you have uh, usually have more than one pass. Uh, the nature of what we're doing with the wobble, you know, we have uh, we have time constraints, so. We're sort of flying by the seat of our pants a lot of the time, and uh, which makes it exciting. And um, the the content of what we're doing uh, also makes it exciting. You want, you know, I look forward to getting the installment every week, and which also makes my job harder because if I'm really, you know, compelled by the story, then I forget to uh, to be diligent and 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 more vigilant with my looking for errors. But um, it's. Uh, I think the the big part of it is just that it's it's physically more difficult to look at a monitor. You know, I find myself holding up a ruler to the to the monitor, underlining, you know, going line by line just to see if I can call anything out, or you know, looking at my style sheets or looking back at past stories to make sure that there are you know consistencies between characters and and plot threads. Um, so it, it it's more challenging, but I don't think it's. I mean, it's not. 
it's not impossible. It's just there are, there are all sorts of things that we're learning as we go to look for. You know, we might be uh, 15 chapters into the into the story, and I'll realize that I haven't been checking, you know, the treatment of a particular vehicle spelling or something random like that. And then you kind of hit yourself over the head and go, oh, I got to go back. And so it's just, you know, we're learning as we go along. But can I can I hop in here with something that's that's interesting? Um, sure. Uh, the the team, the Wobble team, pretty early on decided that we wanted to differentiate the Wobble text from other prose online. We wanted to make it more professional. Um, so Rachel's job is actually really important because she's she's proofreading it. She's making sure there there isn't any misspellings and that the commas are in the right place. And I think it lends the text, the the Wobble itself, a level of professionalism that a lot of prose online doesn't have. Now that's a very interesting observation, uh, Victoria. Why don't you just Spell it out for us. What exactly is the wobble? When you guys came up with it, did you had did it, you did you did you change the original idea to make it what it has eventually become? The original idea is exactly the same as it was that night around the kitchen table with the beer and the Oreos. The name is different. It took us about three weeks to actually get to wobble. <laughs> well, well, tell us uh, now. Well, tell us what exactly is a wobble? Uh, what what is it as it is not right now? A wobble is a web novel. Uh, the central idea for the wobble is mm -hmm. to allow readers a stake in the plot. So at the end of every installment, there's an installment every Monday that's about the size that you'll read. Um, sorry, at the end of every installment, there's a binary plot branch point with a vote button at the end. Voting is open from Monday to Thursday. Uh, voting is closed on Thursday. The results go to the author who writes from Thursday through Sunday. A new installment is posted on Sunday night and uh, is ready for reading on Monday morning. So it combines the technical functionality of Web 2.0, the creativity of fiction, and the pace of print journalism. That sounds pretty uh, uh, fast-paced. Um, tell us, uh, uh, what are, were some of your other choices before you settled on Wavel? Well, there's a couple that have been taken. I mean, Web Serial is taken, mm -hmm. and an ebook is taken. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, we didn't mean any of those things. We meant something new. So we had to mash what we had together in a bit like, you know, a bit like what they did with blog. Mm -hmm. So weblog, web novel. Well, that makes perfect sense. Now, when you started this out, you conceived of it as a serial effort, right? Is that correct? Yes. Yes. And I'm wondering, did you look back at any of the more famous serial efforts? I mean, the, some of the arguably the greatest novels in English literature were serializations by Charles Dickens. Absolutely. And that's fascinating, isn't it, that the that the creative impulse actually plays out in serial like that? I mean, we're used to thinking of fiction writers as people alone in their rooms plotting out the novel or exploring the novel and then presenting it to the public in its finished form. And yet that doesn't actually always have to be the case. And Jamia can actually probably talk to that talk to that a little bit more. Talk to that. Yes, Jamia, I, I wanted to ask you, this is a very different, when you're sitting around in your, in your garret writing your novels with your uh, feather pen, um, that you're absolved of any responsibility to anybody except for yourself. With this, you're writing uh, under a very strict format and a very tight deadline. Tell me about writing web serials like this. Well... Actually, it will be kind of it, it will be almost a different and uh, more free process than trying to um, compose an entire novel and have it finished before anyone ever sees it, which is the way that I've done it all these times before. 
Uh, I've been writing for a really, really long time, and I've written, you know, lots and lots of things in the novel format. And writing something that's, you know, between 90,000 and 120,000 words takes several months at best, and I write relatively quickly, but it does take several months. But you have to make sure that every sing- that you know every single detail of everything before you get started, which uh, can really hinder the process of actually being able to start on something. And uh, so actually writing something in a serialized format um, will be a little bit more freeing, even though um, I will be working under the... Uh, the demands of what the the readers voted on, um, the choices that I give the reader um, about what decisions that they can make is probably the most important and most difficult part of this process that I'm looking forward to doing. Um, making sure that um, that um, again, in a sort of in a role playing game sense, it's kind of like being the dungeon master, where you have a goal in mind and you have you know the players happening, and then sometimes they decide that they want to go in a direction that is not the one that you want. To make sure that the choices that are presented don't go completely outside of what I want to get to, and that they don't go so far outside of my um, hoped for goal that. I lose control over where the text is going, so that'll be that'll be interesting. And uh, being able to, um, and actually being, uh, you know, locked down to writing no more than three thousand words or so every week, and having only a few days to do it, will actually be a, you know that's that's about the pace that I write ordinarily anyway. Um, I generally, left to my own devices and, uh, you know, under the gun of a deadline, I, j- I tend to write between three and 10,000 words a week. And that's just kind of what I've been doing for the last several years at this point. <laughs> so uh, actually being able to, to come up with that amount of text under... Um, but on the other hand, having only a few days to do it as opposed to having the entire week to do it will uh, require quite a lot of discipline. So I'll do my best. Now, do you have a, a plot arc sketched out for this book? Or, or, or do yeah. you – tell me. <laughs> um, yes, and uh, um, the, the example of Dickens is a really interesting one. And um, – I should probably do a little bit more research on this to see exactly how planned um, Dickens' um, plot arcs were. Like, did he have every single aspect of the story in mind before he started writing? Or did he have diversions? Did he have digressions, you know, based on the fact that he wanted to keep, he wanted to make the story longer so that he would, you know, he was paid by the word. Um you know, he had to make sure that the installments were ready by press time for the uh, newspapers that he was being published in. But I know for a fact that he digressed mm-hmm. and elaborated on things quite a bit because he was being paid by the word and he wanted to uh, extend things out as much as he could. But I'm sure that he actually had uh, – having a, a, a time constraint um, really does um, – it, it requires a lot of uh, mental discipline in keeping the, the larger story in mind as time goes on. I do have a larger story arc in mind, but it's 
it's not as um, it's not as tightly structured as it has been for the print novels that I've written in the past. Um, I want to leave it a little. I want to leave it a little bit looser so that I can respond to uh, um, the feeling that I'm getting for where the readers want the story to go, and I think I'll be able to actually provide a really, you know, a satisfying story that's also satisfying for me as the creator, but that um, that is responsive to uh, what the you know what gets the majority of votes and uh, sort of uh, alter the tone of the story you know to to fit what the the readers seem to want and i'm not completely uh, i i don't have i i have a tone in mind and i have the characters in mind and i have the universe in mind and i have a you know i have the particular story and the goals that i want to get to but how we get there is very much open to what the readers decide that they want. You know, uh, a work like this, <clears throat> actually, in, in many ways, most novels are, I think, a, maybe a little bit more collaborative than we'd like to, to, send, to think. While, yes, as I said, the writer does sit there in their garret and create the original form, it does get some collaboration in terms of the editor and the publisher and, and you know, the book designer that, to get that, that up the final product mm-hmm. out. Um, I wonder if each of you would go and, and comment in in turn and tell me about how this changes the collaborative nature of publishing. And we'll start with you, Victoria. You're the publisher. It's a good question. Um, I find I, I, I've come to book publishing through journalism. And I find that my relationship with the fiction writer, um, with Keelan and now with Jamia, is more like a journalism relationship than it is like my fiction relationship with the prose writers uh, that I had at Dark Horse. So I find that I am putting on more of a journalism hat in that I'm editing quickly for readability and that I'm setting it back then to the author um, to make changes quickly as well. Does that does that answer the question? Well, yes, now, but that brings another question up. So what you're su- suggesting is that, that Keelan and, and then coming up, Jamia, will actually send you their segment before it goes live. Is that the yes. case? Yes. Mm-hmm. Boy, also, that's an incredibly, I mean, de- that's a tight deadline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it is. Um, but I, I think that, again, is important because it uh, there's, there's an element to writing fiction and there's an element to writing fast that sort of puts the writer in a void. And to have an editor to talk to and to bounce ideas off of is really important, I think, from an editorial perspective. I don't know what the author thinks. I agree completely from a writer's perspective because I've had very little um, editorial guidance. And I've really been uh, uh, very much in charge of the final product and the direction and the tone and everything. It's very much been entirely down to me. And so actually having a... Uh, a more direct editorial input is something that I'm really, really, really looking forward to having. Cool. Uh, yeah. Rachel, uh, tell me, uh, your work as a proofreader, it, it becomes, I think, a, a bit more important because, a, as Victoria said earlier, you want to have a more professional look. But also, are you uh, proofreading for pacing and tension and just in, in doing, I, I guess, in, to a certain extent, some of the editorial work as you read? Yes, uh, not to the degree that Victoria does, but yes. So basically, so far, um, when Keelan 
sends his installment, uh, Victoria reads it, and I read it, and, um, you know, Keelan will get back queries, which is a polite way of saying, you know, I don't understand what you're saying here at all, or what, or you can't have them do that, or I thought this person was doing this, or, you know, different. And it's it's nice. Um, quality control is kind of a cold term for what I think Victoria is speaking to, which is readability. And, um, and that's important, I think, um, because this is serialized. The readers have more of an investment and maybe feel more personally connected to this. So we have a little bit more of a responsibility in terms of quality control, making sure that, um, you know, they're not maybe they're just voting on a plot thread. But but it kind of makes the creative team that much larger because we're all we're all participating every week. You know, however many hours each of us is putting in, maybe as a reader, you're only putting in that 10 minutes in your cubicle at the office and then hitting a, a button for voting. But we're all, you know, it's, it's this large audience and we're all really involved in the creation of, of a work of art, you know. Um, so I know from, you know, working with Victoria closely every week, we feel, you know, maybe not a huge sense of responsibility for every single comma, but in terms of keeping plot threads consistent, characterization consistent, um, making it readable, making it a pleasure to read. It's, you know, we all know what it's like to be reading. And um, I think of, well, maybe I shouldn't name names, but I think of (laughs) novels that, you know, have been highly anticipated in the past and maybe didn't get sent to an editor. And, you're totally taken out of the story by, you know, something that doesn't jive or something that, um, you know, just a mistake. And so we feel, you know, and that happens when you're reading on, you know, reading online a lot, too, is you're you might be reading something that's great or has great potential, but it's such a mess or, you know, is not you can tell when somebody cares about something. And and that's the thing we can we can talk about the technology of this. And that's really fascinating. But we're all readers. And that's kind of to me, that's what's exciting is, is yeah, I'm a proofreader and that's what I'm trained to do, but I'm a proofreader because I love to read. And so it affords me, you know, I can get paid to do what I, what I would be doing anyways. So. <laughs> Spotting typos. Right. Uh, yeah. Jesse, uh, I'd like to ask you about your part in this collaboration. Do you do the, the website design as well as the programming? I don't do the design. I do uh, strictly programming back-end work. Well, well, tell us a little bit about the programming because I think that's a lot more important than, than one might, might suspect. Um, could you tell me, do you gather data on your readers? How, how much data do you gather? I, yeah, I don't do any data gathering at all. Um, well, you must track I, uh, the hits and, and you must track the, 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 uh, the votes, correct? Right, right. All right. For, for, well, what we have is uh, essentially the votes are going into a database and uh, – you know, we're using uh, standard like Google Analytics to analyze how many hits per page and and whatnot. Um, and and Tori's really uh, the one who sees like you know the amount of votes per month and and uh, you know page clicks and that kind of thing. Um, well, you could talk to the technology being open and and you know gathering information versus just having it free and available like we were talking about at coffee. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to, yes, I'm not. I'm not sure. I follow. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, like like tracking individual users, um, 
um, page impressions. Like, for example, you you know, it's possible to be able to vote multiple times if you're coming from different IP addresses each time. Right, right. Um, well, and that's one of the things that uh, that Victoria and I went over several times uh, in the first couple of renditions of the Wobble. And uh, that was, you know, trying to get the page layout uh, and what's, what's, you know, the the best font and, and the best amount of content to put per page. And also, uh, you know, we've decided that, uh, you know, maybe breaking it down into like you know, six or seven pages is best uh, as you click through and then having the voting on the end so that you don't have anyone just skipping right to the voting and voting multiple times. I thought it was interesting. The decision to paginate I thought was very interesting. And it made it more like a reading experience in terms of a book. Could you? Yeah, uh, who, I, I who think made the decision? Well, it was it was partly, and a, a lot of these decisions, like you say, are collaborative. It was partly the technology, and it was also partly how to read online. I think it's, I think it's interesting to note that there isn't yet a standard for text online. We don't entirely know what the optimal line length is, or what the optimal font point is, or even really how paragraphs paragraph breaks should look, or how long that page should be on the screen or what the average screen size is going to be. So there's all these questions, these formal questions with how it's actually presented that um, that are technological, but they're also substantive because they affect the wobble itself, the content of the wobble. So, you, you know, you talk about pagination. And part of that was so that uh, readers could actually anticipate how long the wobble was going to be. I know that when I'm reading a book, and I know that there's only 10 pages uh, left at the back of the book. I read it differently. I read those 10 pages differently when I know that there's going to be a conclusion coming up. So having the pagination allows that anticip- anticipatory interaction. Well, that's a, that's a fascinating observation. Now, one thing that, that we haven't talked about yet, really, is the, the content. Your Underland Press is, is specializes in what you uh, call a, in your mission statement, uh, the new weird. Uh, I wonder, could you, I'd like to have both you and Jemiah talk about this kind of new uh, genre and how it impacts what you what you are doing with the Wavel. So on the website, the, the mission statement for Underland is to publish weird, strange, odd, and unsettling fiction, which also goes by the name of uh, fantasy and dark fantasy, and it goes by slipstream, by outlet, by uh, new wave fabulism, um, and by New Weird. So there's a lot of names for this kind of writing right now. And again, it's it's a developing history, and it's what we're working in right now. Well, there's a lot of different uh, genres in it. Yeah. Jamia, you publish primarily in the horror genre, though there's always in horror the, an ability to uh, arch over into science fiction, as Keelan has done in his book. Could you talk mm-hmm. about uh, a little bit about the different genre elements that are will be in your wobble? Well, this uh, the the wobble that I'm going to be doing is uh, called First World, and uh, uh, it can be described as slipstream, which is uh, sort of a newish term for me. Although the, it's been around for a little while, uh, I've always just thought of it as you know being sort of a, almost a classic sort of cyberpunk tale. And I've been thinking of I've been thinking of this particular story for about ten years or so. So uh, it's changed a little bit. Um, since I first originally uh, came up with the concept in general, but not a whole lot, actually. Um, there have been a lot of uh, um, 
uh, personal technological advances since then that are unusual. But on the other hand, uh, 10 years ago when I originally thought of the story, which is, uh, you know, ba based on these particular characters and their relationships with each other, the, um, that storyline was uh, a little bit more more important than the uh, um, than the sort of you know fun cyberpunk trappings that were on it, and so I knew that whenever it was that I was actually going to be able to focus on writing this story, um, that technology that I would be uh, approaching it through the lens of what was uh, possible in both personal computing and personal technology, and the role that technology um, has uh, taken uh, has taken on in terms of. Uh, government banking um you know nations the way that the way that uh nations consider themselves as global players and how that particular uh perspective of setting of you know the place where you belong or where you work or where you live what that what the flavor of that um imparts to the characters but the characters themselves would you know it would be the same story no matter what setting they were in but i just really you know i've been wanting to write something that um you know I'm, my favorite writer is william gibson and i've been wanting to uh, write something that um i feel like really uh, delves into his own principles because again i feel like his stories are very timeless but the the clothes that they're wearing are are of a particular fashion that, you know, he will create, you know, the far future or right now he's, you know, writing about the sort of cyberpunk present. And the story would really be the same no matter what it is, but you have different tools to, uh, you know, to bring to bear in that story. So uh, that'll be interesting. I've been very interested in, uh, you know, in, in futuristic concepts and in computing and, and, uh, and in, you know, global politics for quite some time, and so it'll be it'll be interesting to see uh, uh, to see what what neat ideas I can kind of shoehorn in there, and uh, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. It's 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 a little hobby of mine. Well, it's a you, hobby book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you talked about the characters, and one thing that that interests me is I, I know a lot of writers I've talked to have encountered points in books that they've written where the characters themselves won't do what the writers want them to do. And, mm -hmm. and I'm wondering how you're going to deal with this in addition to the fact that you'll have readers maybe telling the characters to do things that you don't want them to do or the, the characters themselves don't want to do. You're going to be in a three-way fight here. <laughs> I think that's really realistic, though. I mean, when you think about your own life as the way that you live it, sometimes you're forced into roles that you don't want to, that are not you or that you're not comfortable with that don't seem to have anything to do with you at that particular time, but you have to, but you have no choice but to live those or you can resist them and then what do you do? As long as the core personality is in place and I feel, you know, I've had these characters in mind for more than 10 years. I've, you know, I, I kind of know who these people are no matter what happens to them, they will continue being those characters and they will react to things in the way that they will react to. And I have, again, only so much control over what these characters are. They really do come alive when you start writing them and they will, you know, as, that's one of the things that I love about writing is that characters will always surprise you. And you'll just be, you know, tootling along, writing, you know, they're 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 doing this and they're in this particular situation and then 
if you if that character is really alive in your mind, they will do things that you did not anticipate and that sometimes make you scramble to try to keep up with. But it, you know that's all it's all part of the game. It's that's 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 where the that's where the excitement comes from is let have the characters really genuinely come to life and they don't have a chance to do that until you've started writing them. So having the chance to actually really put these characters on the page is exciting because they've been in my head for 10 years. Now they actually have a chance to go out there and, you know, shock me and surprise me. And then what the what the readers have them do, I don't think that the readers are going to have the option to change characters' personalities. They may have a chance to um, provide unusual twists or unexpected twists that a character does something that is seemingly completely unexpected for them but it will always you know it's it's my responsibility to make sure that their response even if it's unusual or unexpected is in character and i i have absolute confidence in my ability to do that because i've been doing it for quite a while and it's never gotten it's never gotten away from me so i don't imagine that that's going to happen this time either i think it's going to work out victoria well one aspect of web 2.0 that's so thus far not so different from web 1.0 is that Mm -hmm. everybody expects everything to be free now you're a publisher you're in a money-making venture here uh Mm -hmm. this wobble is free how does that help your bottom line indirectly (laughs) um and I think that's important because one of the one of the ways that Web 2.0 works is indirectly. You put content up and you sell ads. That's one way that people are making money. Um, I, it's this is a, it's a, this is an interesting question. I, my goal is to build readership, and readership that trusts and likes Underland, almost to brand Underland online as a publisher of stories that readers want to read. The more readers that come back to the website, the more information that they get about the books that I'm selling, the more likely it is that they'll go out and buy the books. Now, will you be publishing hard copy versions of the final wobble that results after all the choices? I have that option with the with the authors. I didn't. And this is actually a, this is another really interesting question: how to manage rights online. So my contracts with the authors are to buy the privilege of watching them write in the specific format, but not to buy the rights for the finished product. That finished product is theirs. They can go out and sell it to a different publisher. Although I'd like them to offer it to me first. Now, um, I'm I'm wondering uh, when you publish this. It's actually uh, when you, if you were to publish a wobble, mm-hmm. it's the result of this collaboration between you and, mm-hmm. and, and Jesse and Rachel and, and Jamia, Jamia, um, and also uh, there's somebody else who participates in that, and that's the readers. Uh, do you feel? Um, how do you pay back the readers for their contributions in terms of making really vitally important plot decisions? They're editors themselves, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They're they're involved. They're making it. Um how do I pay them back? They well, get the, they get this story for free. <laughs> <laughs> what else do they want? <laughs> um 
You know, I, I haven't published a hard copy version of a wobble, so I don't actually know how to answer that. There's there's going to be a question if and when I do that. Um, do I include or, you know, does the author and Underland include the plot branch points as they come up um, as, you know, installment breaks or chapter breaks? Or does all that text go back to the author for the author to edit into a coherent draft and then publish as a traditional novel? That's a question that hasn't been answered yet, and uh, it might be asked sometime soon, and we'll have to do it as we go. Uh, I'm wondering if you're familiar with any of the other like uh, recent Choose Your Adventure authors' uh, novels. Uh, for example, uh, uh, Kim Newman uh, wrote a novel called Life's Lottery, which is a, a long novel, but it gives you, at the end of each short chapter, it gives you like several different uh, branch points, like three or four different places. You turn to page 75, turn 95 or 205, and, and jumps back and forth. I should talk to her about doing a wobble. <laughs> it, it, it's, a, it's a him. Should. <laughs> oh, I should talk to him. Um, no, so the answer is no, I haven't. I, I don't actually know those two through an adventure novels. Um, I'm wondering, would you... Uh, advertise the wobble in the print works or advertise the print works uh, online with the novel? So I put an put a ad for the wobble in the back of the, yeah. of the print. Um, probably not because I think that reflects badly on the books. Oh, I don't know. It's a... <laughs> I think it's. I think that uh, the wobel is a little bit too live and too fast paced to put into a hard copy of anything. I mean, you can just say, well, I mean, if if there's going to be wobbles uh, happening continuously throughout Underland Press's run, you can just say, you know, t- go to you know underlandpress.com and just advertise that the site is there and you know say that there is going to be a serialized a serialized wobble that's that's happening that you can check out but any particular one of those then no we shouldn't do that because you know there's there's a lag time between right text text on text in the library shelf lasts forever and you yeah. don't want to you don't want to advertise a exactly a wobble that'll just go down exactly Although, but i will on the website i will be offering Information about the print books, so free chapters, um, excerpts, podcasts, all the things that publisher does, publishers are now starting to do um, to increase interest in the books before they come out in print. Um, one of the things that really most intrigues me about this uh, is this idea that you've created this for people to read in their cubicles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I have to ask you, as a, a person who's employing people who are sitting in cubicles, are you pleased with the idea that they're going to be spending that there's somebody out there right now designing a way for them to spend their time other than doing work for you? Oh gosh, you know, we've all been employees and I think having been employees, all of us know that we're not 100% efficient all the time and that's a necessary part of being efficient and being engaged in your work is also having the downtime. I actually think that's really important. Everybody has to take breaks. Yeah. It's- required, right? Right. By law. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you get a 10-minute break. You get a cigarette break, you should get a wobble break. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, this is a really fascinating idea. I like the idea of a wobble break uh, because it's, you know, it's, well, it's healthier for you than a cigarette break. It increases literacy. It increases literacy. Uh, um, uh, there's a real difference in reading work that on a screen from the page in terms of the light um, there, mm-hmm. It's reflected light versus projected light, and, and mm-hmm. it really makes a, a big difference. I'm wondering uh, if Rachel or Jemiah or 
Jesse or, or um, Victoria, any of you can tell me, have you a thought about that in terms of the content and, and the way and the pacing and, and the actual literary, how that, that difference affects the literary content? Uh, I think it definitely does. Um, I don't think it. Uh, I don't think it. It. Um, it lessens the literary merit at all, but it does require a different kind of pacing and a different kind of, um, in terms of the writer, a different kind of consciousness of what the format is and what your paragraphs look like, and to try to create. Although you know, there's always. A user can always customize the way that a, a web page looks. At any given time, you know, any any reader who or any web user that is looking at a web page can always look at it in a different format. They can have, you know, they can look at any web page using their own format. They can look at it in just text if they know to, you know, be able to to look at the page source or something like that. But if uh, you have more control over, you know, physically what that what your paragraphs and what your sentences look like, um, you develop a different kind of style. You different you develop a different kind of pacing for where you know where your your beats fall and to provide more of those you know in a, in a in a more impactful way online especially if they're short pieces which necessarily they should be form affects content form affects content absolutely jesse and i have to say i appreciate as a uh, as the proofreader um i feel like victoria and the designer have made the wobble very easy to read because it does read like I mean they're broken up into pages and the pages read like hard copy novel pages so anybody listening who hasn't gone to the site yet to read it uh, can feel confident that they're it's going to be very similar to reading a regular novel that it physically looks like a novel page which is comforting when you think of some of the things that you can pull up online that are you know, yards long and, you know, very reader unfriendly. Victoria's made it very, very accessible to anybody who's ever read a book. It looks like a book. So. I, and I wanted to, to maybe take this back to talk about the, the genre fiction content of this. Um, Victoria, you have this uh, uh, interest in slipstream, new weird, new wave, fabulous uh, fiction. Do you think that that's a particularly uh, helpful, just the, the kind of uh, um, uh, variety that that kind of fiction provides, that's helpful for um, growing a readership for the online wobble? Well, so if you think about the, the stereotype of the traditional literary, quote, literary novel, transfer that into the wobble form and you have somebody making a decision about whether or not they should take the expressway into work or the back roads. That's not a very interesting decision. If you throw that same wobble into um, a genre world, you have, uh, you have a choice about whether or not the zombies are going to kill the main character. That's a much more interesting choice. Uh, I have to agree with that. <laughs> now, uh, uh, on the other hand, that seems like that could be a more traumatic choice for the for the author because uh, uh, if you if your readers can vote to kill off a main character, that that gets mm -hmm. you a, a little bit more uh, a less leeway than you might have once wanted. Um, Jemiah, tell me about uh, a little bit more about how the readers are going to affect your work. 
Well, um, it's a, a very much going to be a question of how much control over the choices that I give them. Uh, if I, I just need to make sure that uh, I'm that I a try not to back myself into a corner where I have to do something that's very distasteful to me to keep the plot going. Um, try not to have anything that that where the plot is obviously just you know. Where the plot is very clunkily obvious, you know, to the reader, as opposed to smooth and 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 normal uh, or natural, I should say. Um, but it's mostly about my being able to control specifically what choices are given, um, as long as um, the choices that um, I can present to the reader are, uh, you know, that that either choice that they choose is something that. Um, will ring true to me in terms of the crafting of the story, then there shouldn't be too many problems. If, uh, if, if it does get out of control, then uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll just have to deal with it then. Hopefully it won't. I don't imagine that it will, though. It's all about uh, creating, uh, providing the, the right choices to the readers to make. And, um, but on the other hand, making sure that each decision is something that is genuinely weighty, something that they really do have to, that they can be emotionally invested in so that, you know, they feel like their vote actually makes a difference in, to, in the way that the story goes, and it will, but I just have to, you know, keep it on, keep it on, keep it, keep it on an even keel <laughs> so that, you know, no, you know, there may be suitcase nukes, I don't know. Now, I, <laughs> I have to, have to ask you, um, do you get, email feedback beyond, you know, you're, you're offering people a button, but do you get feedback like people writing and saying, what, what is going on here? I, where, where are, I want more zombies or, you know, uh, I guess more uh, uh, discreet and detailed feedback. And do you put feed that back into your work? Victoria, is that something you've thought of or is that something you've we done have a, this far? We have a comment page for that purpose. And also uh, the the emails, or my email at least, is completely public and open. And I get about an email a week from readers who just want to check in or talk or they have an idea. And sometimes I pass this on to Keelan. And, um, yeah, it's all, it's, all, it's all very open and collaborative. That's, that's the central idea. I've been speaking with Victoria Blake, and she's the publisher of Underland Press. Jamia Jefferson is a novelist who will be writing the next wobble for Underland Press. Rachel Miller is the proofreader for Underland Press. And Jesse Pollock, the web programmer who works with Underland Press, are all, are, they are all working on a wobble, which is a web novel which in which the readers get to choose branch points at the end of each weekly installment. Thank you for joining me. Oh, Rick, it's been awesome. Thanks. Thank, you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. <laughs>